Welcome to what would normally be our Wednesday evening service. This is the Wednesday evening service that was recorded for and planned for March 18th, 2020. We're going to be covering the book of uh, James. We're going to, we've been doing that for several weeks now, and we're going to be in James 4 this evening. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you're welcome to get them ready right now. Or if you just want to follow along, I'll have them uh, within this video. So uh, let's begin. As I've been doing uh, throughout this, this uh, series of lessons, we've been noticing that James borrows a lot of the words from Jesus, especially the ones that take place in the Sermon on the Mount. So James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, what we see is that uh, they're very similar to some of the words that Jesus said, such as in Matthew six twenty four, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's what Jesus says. <clears throat> so now let's take notice of what James says. James 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity between against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. So in this section of James, uh, technically we already looked at the first three verses last time, so I'm not going to comment too much on those first three verses, but you know, he does talk about how there is this battle within us and how we, uh, how we need to ask God for these things. When we ask God, uh, then, then we can receive those things if we have the right motives. But now what I really want us to look at is verses 4 through 10. And there are several things to take notice of. You know, one of them is this phrase that's found in verse 4. About this friendship with the world, it means enmity against God. That means that if you're friends with the world, then there's going to be problems with your relationship with you and God. Now, we need to be careful in how we understand this. We also need to be careful in how we present this because it is very true. Don't get me wrong. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be this, this friend of the world? I believe we can look to Jesus as a perfect example of this because what we see in Jesus is how some people had a problem with the way that he was doing ministry because he was among sinners. And I mean, he ate meals with them. He was around them and stuff. So 
some of the religious leaders had problems with that because apparently they weren't doing that same thing. They were distancing themselves from the people of the world as what they would kind of classify it as. Which, I mean, I, I guess that's, that's a fair way of saying that they would be people of the world, but they really had a problem with Jesus being among those people. However, in Jesus, we see something different. He was able to be friendly and inviting of those sinners. I guess I'll say that because, I mean, we're all sinners, but he was inviting of those sinners. But yet he didn't become a friend of the world. See, he was able to fully follow this, but maybe in a little different way than what we, we might think of as for, at first. But I also think we need to be careful about this. Because what I see among how Christians respond is, is uh, they, they might, if not you know, careful about this, they might kind of go on, on one of these different extremes. Because some people, they say, oh, well, we can't be a friend of the world, so we can't you know, be a part of the world. We can't be, um, like sometimes they might even say, I don't know if they'd exactly say this, but we can't be out in the world. You know, they don't want to be with the sinners. They take that same type of mindset that many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. Well, we know that that wasn't really a good response, but yet, if we aren't careful, sometimes we take that ourselves. I mean, let me just be honest. Sometimes that happens to me as well. Sometimes I get into to that way of thinking because I know and I believe we need to be holy. We as Christians must be holy. Well, what does that look like? So sometimes that's what we think it looks like. We think that that means, oh, well, you know, I, I can't be uh, among these people in the world. So that's, that's one problem uh, of looking at this passage and kind of interpreting it not in the best way. There's another way, though. See, another way, whenever we see this, we're like, okay, yeah, it says that we're not supposed to be a friend of the world. And, but when you look at Jesus, you see that he was out in the world. He was among sinners. So that's what we need to be. And if there's not a difference between us and the world, then that's whenever we have become this friend of the world. See, when Jesus was out among those sinners, if you will, there was still a difference. You knew that was Jesus, and he's with these other people. It's, it's not that he was one of those other people. He was with those other people. So we got to be careful sort of how we look at it, because we don't need to be so distanced from everybody else that we, we don't go out and we don't reach the world. However, we don't need to become so much part of the world that we do what James is talking about here and, and actually become a friend of the world. There is a difference. And, and I'm not saying that I can, I can give you a way to know in every single situation exactly what you should do. I don't always exactly know either. I mean, sometimes you even have to look at it um, at a case-by-case case, you know, situation and just do the best that you can and try the best that you can. But notice that it does give us this warning that if we are friends of the world, then we are enemies of God. Uh, in fact, he kind of you know, mentions that some of these times and, and makes special special statement of that. So it's important for us to be mindful of that. Uh, another thing that we, uh, that we see, let me make sure I don't get too far ahead of, of, uh, of my notes here. Um, in verse 5, we see a phrase that, depending on your translation, it might be kind of translated a little differently, this phrase about how um, the way that it's written here, uh, the way that 
that God is jealously longing for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. Um, there's different ideas as to exactly how that should be uh, phrased, how it should be worded, how it should be interpreted. Um, ultimately, I just kind of bring that up, just letting you know, because you might see something that when you read it in your Bible, it might sound like it's saying something different. Well, it, it might be because those translators might think that it should be translated a different way. And I don't want that to concern you too much because I think that what we see here, uh, it it all kind of gets us in the same direction anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's not really too far off. But I, I do believe one of the things that is, is talking about here with this jealousy that we need to be uh, mindful of, especially in light of this whole context. See, if we, if we interpret this in light of this whole context, we see that there is a jealous sense of God. <clears throat> we are so used to thinking of jealousy in negative terms, but, you know, sometimes, like in this case, with God, He is a jealous God. He wants to be our God. He doesn't want us to be after other gods. So if we go after other gods, or if we go after, you know, these idols and stuff, then what we've done is we've, we've turned our back on God. We've made Him jealous. He wants to be that one, because ultimately, He is that one. He is the only one that should and does matter in our lives. <clears throat> so I think that's kind of mainly like what we're what we're getting at in that phrase. But it's just interesting to notice this term jealousy being used uh, with God and kind of talking about Him. But I believe that's what it comes down to, especially in light of this whole uh, passage here. So um, speaking of going toward God, look at what you see in verses seven through ten. Especially what I want us to do is I want us to draw attention to uh, this verse 7, this phrase, because I believe this is important. I believe verse 7 will also help explain and help um, us follow what we looked at in verse 5 about how we should not be a friend of the world, uh, because if we're a friend of the world, we're an enemy of God. Okay, so how do we stay away from that? How, how can we guard against that? Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7 of James 4, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, I think, is also important too, especially the first part. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So you want to know how to not be a friend of the world? You want to know how to be able to make sure that you are a friend of God? I think we get a pretty good description right here uh, about that we need to resist the devil. Whenever we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Now, that doesn't mean it will be easy, but it means that this is kind of a promise that we've been given here. <clears throat> Also on the screen, uh, what I've done is, is I've kind of shared with you a few other times that James is talking about the devil and kind of demonic things. Uh, in, in James 3, uh, what James does is he talks about the tongue and the importance of, of keeping our tongue in check. In verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, James writes, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And then later on in that same chapter in verse 15, he's talking about wisdom that isn't really the wisdom of God. It's, it's uh, uh, other wisdom. And what he says about that wisdom that's not from God is he says, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So, I mean, James is very aware that there is a whole... Uh, spiritual realm that is among us, this unseen uh, world around us. 
That includes the devil, that includes hell, that includes uh, the, the demonic realm and the, the demonic influences that can come. I'm not saying these things to scare us because I know that sometimes whenever I say statements like that, I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds a little scary. But we need to be aware of it. And we need to, to be aware of, of also, I think it's important to notice how James uses these terms. You know, he's talking, he's warned us to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But at the same time, he's already reminded us, he says, look, your tongue, be very cautious of it because it's set on fire by hell. In fact, he doesn't say very many good things about our tongue, but he says, be cautious of it. Be careful with it because it can really drag you down very quickly. He also cautions us about wisdom, going after wisdom that's not heavenly wisdom. We need to be focused on this heavenly wisdom. He calls this wisdom that's not heavenly wisdom actually even demonic. Going back to this phrase again, resisting the devil and he will free, flee from you. It's important to realize that. It's also important that we remember that we believe this. You know, we know that this is the case because God has, has told us these things, that we do need to resist the devil. He will flee from us. But that doesn't mean it will be easy. Sometimes it could be difficult. Sometimes it could be very, very hard. But it's still the call that we've been given. Now, James doesn't always talk about the spiritual world, though, and I think that we do need to be aware of this balance in, in recognizing the spiritual world, but not being too afraid of it. Uh, just recently, actually just yesterday, I had this conversation uh, with my son, who's, who's uh, he's only four years old, but we were watching this video about Jesus in the t and being tempted in the wilderness, uh, for those 40 days that you can find in Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4. We're not going to be turning there, but we were watching this video portrayal of that, and, and they portrayed Satan uh, in there, or, or the devil. They portrayed him as like this kind of cloaky, uh, dark figure. He kind of looked a little bit like the Grim Reaper, but he didn't have a face or whatever, so it's it kind of interesting. A um, little creepy, but he didn't seem to be too concerned about that. But he did ask me a few things about the, the devil, because, you know, he wanted to know, well, well, who is that? So, you know, while this video was kind of going on, while we were watching this, um, he had a few questions, and we, we talked about it, but one thing uh, he asked was, you know, what does the devil look like? And I think that's a good question, and whenever we let, when we look at a verse like, resist the devil and he will flee from you, okay, so what does the devil look like? How do we know to resist him? And what I explained to my son, and and I, I, I tried to do this in a way that, you know, wasn't going to scare him, but it is kind of scary in some ways. But when we uh, think about these things, what we need to realize is our God is bigger. He is, he is stronger. He is mightier. He is the creator of all. He is stronger, bigger uh, than, than the devil. And that's what I tried to kind of instill with my son as we had this conversation. But I also wanted to explain to him well, we don't always know exactly what the devil's going to look like. He's not really going to look like this cloaked figure that we see in this, this movie. And I, I think that my son understands what it means to, uh, for things to be pretend. You know, he's got a great imagination. Uh, and, you know, we talk about that with movies and stuff. We say, well, this is pretend. They're, they're pretending. But yet, when it came down to what does the devil look like, that question still remains. And I, I was trying to explain to him that... We don't know exactly what the devil might look like. He can take on many different forms, 
Uh, and it's, it's just important for us to be aware of that, to recognize it. At the same time, I said it's important for us to recognize it. Not be afraid of the devil. See, we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We're told here, resist the devil. Whenever we resist him, he will flee from us. We don't have to have this fear. We do have to have resistance. However, sometimes the way that we resist the devil and the influence of the devil might look a little different than what we might think. In fact, one thing that I explained to my son was sometimes the devil is invisible. You know, sometimes we can't see him. So we don't always need to expect to see some figure. That's not really how he he works necessarily. And James talks about that too. In fact, one of the things that James does earlier, uh, all the way back in chapter 1, I think it's kind of interesting to bring into this conversation. So let's take a look at a few verses from James 1. James 1, verses 13 through 17. Now I want you to pay attention to this and notice that he doesn't really talk about the spiritual realm, yet he is still talking about the importance of it. What he says is this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own uh, evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In this passage, James does not talk about kind of the the spiritual influence like the the devil. And we need to be careful that we don't give uh, the devil too much hold in our lives. Because whenever we are tempted, it's not God that's tempting us. That comes from something else. Sometimes it comes from ourselves, like what James is talking about here. It comes from within us. Sometimes it's the devil. You know, we don't need to, to focus so much on, oh, well, it's always me who's doing the tempting that, that we don't recognize that there are spiritual beings around. At the same time, we, need, we don't need to focus so much on, oh, well, well, the devil made me do it, that we miss out on the fact that, you know, sometimes it is our own evilness with, within us. We need to recognize those too and, and be able to, to see those negative influences. And those aren't from God. Those don't come from God. In fact, that's why I included verses 16 and 17 that he says, look, don't be deceived by this. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived by this. Because the things that come from God, they're good. They're perfect. Those are the types of gifts that God gives us. He doesn't give us these negative things that come along with the temptations. No, no, no. However, he can use these temptations to provide glory for him and to provide strength for us to to hold on to God even stronger. God can do that from those situations. But God doesn't force those situations upon us. One of the last uh, verses here in this is verse 10. This is important to keep in mind whenever you, you look at all of this as a whole about how we should not be friends with the world but we should be friends with God, most certainly. How do we do that? Well, we come near to God, and he will come near to us. We resist the devil, okay? We, uh, he will flee from us. We're not even just told to, to flee from the devil. No, 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 we're told to resist the devil, and he will flee. That's an interesting difference that, uh, that James makes here. 
But that last phrase also is important. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Sometimes we sing that phrase within the songs uh, that we sing whenever we come together to worship. It's an important truth that we need to hold on to. Let's continue looking at more verses here in James. Uh, As we look now at James 4, verses 11 through 12, uh, what I want to draw your attention to is how similar this is to what Jesus says. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, Jesus said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus there is talking about the importance of of our words and what we do with them, and that we will give an account for everything that we do. It doesn't need to be something that's scary. It just needs to be something that we realize it's real. We will be held accountable for what we do. Okay, so now where does James take this? What does he say? James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge a law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, so as we get to this passage... He tells us something that, uh, you know, it should make sense and it should be something that is like, well, yeah, okay, of course we already know this, but there's a reason why he's reminding us. There's a reason why he tells us, don't slander one another, okay? Don't do it. We need to be careful uh, about what we say about one another. Whenever Whenever we speak against a brother or a sister, then we're also speaking against the law. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to speak against the law and to judge it? Well, that's actually a question I want us to dive into right now. What law? What law is he talking about? Because, you know, a lot of times whenever I see the term law in the scriptures, I think about the law of Moses. Well, is that the law that he's talking about? Or is he talking about maybe what we might call, you know, the law of Christ? You know, now that we are followers of Christ, we're not, we're not under the law of Moses. It's been fulfilled. But yet, I think here, what we see in what James is talking about is one of these times that he often will use language that uh, a Jew would use because he came from a Jewish background. I mean, everything about what James writes is very Jewish in nature. In fact, the name James is the same uh, name as, as Jacob, and he's the one who is known as Israel, you know, the 12 tribes. And so... James has this connection to Jacob. James has this connection to Israel. He is from the tribe of Israel. So a lot of the times the the words that he uses bring that out. And this one, I think, is one of those that, that we bring this out. However, I also believe that in this instance, what we see is this law that he's speaking of is the law, yes, that applied under the law of Moses, but it still applies today. Let me explain. See, James has already used this term about the law. When we look at another time he's used it, I think that we'll see more about what he means. In James 2, verse 8, we read this. James says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, 
you are doing right. So James puts special emphasis on this phrase that comes from the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus put special emphasis on that too. I'll just kind of remind you of that. He calls it this royal law here. I mean, this is, this is an important law. Well, to love our neighbor as yourself. It's very simple to, to read that. It's very simple to, to speak that out loud. To practice it is something that it will truly take our entire lives to, to put into place. We must always love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, of course, combining that with loving God, that's kind of what Jesus said about the, the greatest commandment, and then the second is like it. This phrase about this royal law that's found in Scripture, and the phrase that we need to be careful of not speaking against this law, um, I believe both of these times are going back to the book of Leviticus. So let's turn there right now. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. Now, this is part of the law of Moses, but I think pretty well everything about this still applies to us. Let's look at these verses. Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is that very familiar passage that talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, but whenever you look, it's within kind of a few other commands too. And a few other things that, yes, they might apply to us slightly different. For instance, these, these, this talk about Israelites. Okay, well, we're, we're not really Israelites today, but all these things do still apply to us. About taking note of this and about loving our neighbor as ourself. This is part of what I believe is the law of Moses, but it also is the law of Christ as well. And we need to be careful how we speak about our brothers and sisters, because when we speak against them, then we speak against the law and we judge it, just like what James was saying. We need to be mindful of what God wants us to do because he is the Lord. We are his followers. He's asked us to love our neighbor as ourself. Let's do it. Going back to James here, I want you to realize the, the important aspect of verse 12, and that is that we have this one lawgiver. We have this one judge, and you're not him. I'm not him. We are not this judge that we must all stand before. We are not the lawgiver that we must all stand before. So he kind of poses the question at the very end, so why do you judge your neighbor? You know, why do we judge our neighbor? Sometimes we do, but we're not really the judge. Neither one of us are the judge. We are just serving the judge. God is the one that gets to make the rules. We are the ones that get to follow them, if you will. Now, James has one more section here, and we're going to take a look at this. And it does seem like he's talking about something um, a little bit different, but this will also sort of lead into chapter 5. We're not going to get into chapter 5 in this video, but um, this this leads into it. So we might get this here at the end of this uh, video, and I might go over it just a little bit in the, in the next, uh, next week as well. But let's look at um, the rest of this chapter. 
Uh, before we look at the rest of this chapter, uh, I want to read some words from Jesus that he gives on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to notice how similar these are to what James says. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 34, Jesus says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Very important passage for us about worrying. But even more important than that, it's really a very important passage about God takes care of us, and he will take care of us. Let's look at what James says. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And with that, James ends this chapter four, but there's a lot for us to to keep in mind from this. We really don't know what the future is. He talks about, you know, you who say today or tomorrow will go and we'll do all these things. How many times do we do that? I mean, how many times do we make plans for what we're going to do tomorrow? How many times do we make plans for what we're going to do in a week? Some of us even plan a month or so in ahead. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You know, sometimes we might even plan almost a year ahead. But he says, look, why don't we say, and instead of, about today and tomorrow, we'll just go and do all these things. He brings back this. And he says in verse 15 there, that we should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. See, sometimes we need to just recognize, look, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. In fact, the only way that we will live is by the Lord's will. He is the one who, who sustains. He is the creator and the sustainer of everything around us. I think that is so crucial for us to be mindful of many, many times. So, yes, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. Um, and then we get to do this or, or do that or, you know, make our plans and stuff. We need to be aware that God is in control. Uh, we also need to be aware of, of what uh, the purpose of our lives are. The purpose of our lives is not just so we can go about and do all these things and just, just run around all of the time. No, the purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God, to be in that fellowship with God. The words that are, are used here about what our life is like from verse 14, it's like a mist that appears. You know, how long does a mist stick around? You know, think about that whenever you like, um, have some type of a, a spray bottle that sprays like a little mist into the air. How long does that mist stay there? 
Okay, uh, let's also think about this. You know, one thing I think of with the mist is um, fog in the morning. How long does that fog stick around? I mean, sometimes it seems like it sticks around a long time, but let's face it, it eventually goes away. I mean, it, it's it's an illustration about there is a limited time that it will be around. There's also just a limited time that we will be around. So with that in mind, isn't it really important for us to notice if we only have so much time here on this earth, what are we going to do with that time? Are we going to use it to bring glory to God? Are we going to use it to be a follower of God and do what he asked us to do? We have this, this, uh, this kind of warning a little bit at the end, which I think is so important for us to, to recognize what this warning is, because sometimes people will talk about, well, is this thing a sin or is that thing a sin and all. Look at verse 17. I'm going to read it again. James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Have you ever known some good thing that you should do, but for whatever reason, you didn't do it? Maybe you saw an opportunity that you knew what you should have done in that situation, but for whatever reason, you let that situation come and go, and you didn't do that good. What James tells us is, that is sin. There's a few places in the scripture whenever we see like some, some type of definition that this is sin. Well, th this is one of those occasions. James tells us, look, if you know what you should be doing, but you're not doing it, then that's a sin. Not saying these things to really kind of like overly concern you and you to, to question everything about your life and say, oh no, how many times have I messed up? What I am saying is, what are you going to do from here on out? You know, I mean, how long is this message from James going to impact your life? Perhaps maybe the next time you see something good that you ought to do. Maybe next time you can step up and, and do it. You know, and, and hopefully I will be mindful of this too. Hopefully I will be reminded that, yeah, whenever I know these good things that I should be doing, that I will just step up and I will do these good things. We don't know how long we have in this life, but we do know that we have the choice as to what we're going to do with it. Are we going to live it to bring glory to God? That's what he's asked for us, and he wants us to, to be with him, to be a part of what he's doing. Does that describe your life? That's what James wants us to do. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. And hopefully, we can learn from James and uh, the other of the early church as to what that means and what that looks like in our lives today. And hopefully we will also share these things and recognize, yeah, all these writings that have been written for us, they still apply to us today. Even though we're 2,000 years down the road, they all still apply. What lessons are we going to learn? What lessons are we going to share? Thank you very much for joining me in this video. Uh, we will pick back up, I believe, uh, next week, Lord willing.